Good morning and welcome to the There is a Solution Big Book Studies monthly step one focus meeting. My name is Karen and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi Karen, well Karen. To open the meeting and ask our higher powers into the room, let's all start with the serenity prayer. God, God grant, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We have big books for sale if anyone's interested, and also please turn off your cell phones. <coughs> During the next hour, Pia and Tova will be reviewing the chapters in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that address step one. These chapters include the doctor's opinion, Bill's story, there is a solution, and more about alcoholism. After the chapters are read and broken down, there will be a question and answer period for 30 minutes. This meeting ends at 10.30. At this time, I'd like our speakers to start. Okay. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I did, yeah. Um, we're going to start with the doctor's opinion, um, which is on, let's see, we're probably going to start on XXVI also known as 26 when I can translate into <laughs> Roman numerals. So this is the part where Dr. Silkworth is talking about how he's seen chronic alcoholism and um, we wanted to focus a little bit on the allergy of, uh, the, allergy of the body and um, the obsession of the mind. So in the first part it says, um, right underneath the letter. The physician who at our request gave us this letter has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms what we have, who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe, that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as the, his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality or were outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us. But we are true that, but we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. So I wanted to kind of start with that because when I came in, I came in at 336 pounds and I came in through treatment and was sort of funny because I was like, it's 336 pounds, 0.4. And she was like, really though? Does that matter? And then, right. Um, but but I, I think what I noticed, for, before I knew that I had an allergy of the body, I did see the physical impacts of carrying that much weight. So the bottoms of my feet hurt. Um, I noticed that um, like my breathing was really heavy. I had sleep apnea. Um, so I, that was what I started. And also just actually, at my, because I'm short at my highest weight, I also just kind of felt suffocated in my weight. So I'm in a lot of communities that don't care about weight. So I wasn't really like, I was not in the like, oh my gosh, I'm so fat. Oh, I feel so much shame. I was not in that club. Um, but I was in a club of real realizing that I was starting to lose more and more of my abilities to function physically. So having difficulty moving around, having, like I was humiliated when my partner had to help me with my nylons or help me tie my shoes because I just couldn't like reach that far. Um, and let alone like, um, you know, I interviewed for a job at some point and then I had to fast track a suit from the big girl store out of town with extra shipping to get it in time, you know, like all of those kinds of things. And, and that's kind of what came to my attention first. And before I came in 
to OA and before I went into treatment, I, start, I started seeing outside help, eating disorder specialist, and in that process realized we cleaned up everything and it looked really good. You know, it looked fantastic, quite frankly. Um, and then I realized, like, oh, I've been here before. And mm-hmm. I think we talk about that in the rooms, like, we can clean up, right? If that was what it was about, the issue was I could clean up, I just couldn't stay there. So I don't know if you want mm-hmm. to, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really cool because I met Pia right after you got back from treatment. Because yeah. um, we used to live close to each other and attend the same meeting in Philadelphia. And so I've gotten to witness the physical transformation and the spiritual transformation, which is, it deepens my recovery, so it's very cool. Um, I relate to a lot of what Pia shared, but I was in the shame club for sure. (laughs) I ran in circles where I felt very ashamed all the time of existing. Um, And yeah, just constantly comparing myself to others and... Um, like what, what Bill said, I relate to Bill a lot of just like they'll see someday, like just really wanting to be important and wanting to prove to everyone that they were wrong about me and I know what's best. And um, in my disease, I was not morbidly obese. I'm a recovered bulimic and compulsive overeater. And so for me, a lot of my disease centered around trying to control my weight in in through um, throwing up, through laxatives, um, and also just straight up binging too, um, restricting. Like I, I've seen, it's all the same. It's all the, it's all just powerlessness and um, obsession with food all the time. And um, it's funny because when when Pia um, texted me on Thursday to ask to join her today, my f- very first thought was like, I have nothing to say, and nobody wants to hear me. And it's like, that's such a lie. That is so, first of all, it's really selfish, self-absorbed, because God has done so much for me through this program. Like, I'm a mom because of this program. I wouldn't be able to have a baby. I was destroying my body. And um, in the past two years, most recently, like a week and a half ago, my, um, my husband lost his fourth family member in two years to addiction. And... Um, how dare I even for a second question that I have something to say when I've been given this gift, God has seriously transformed my life through these 12 steps. And not everyone gets that. And like, we have this opportunity. And so um, since Thursday, I've, I've really just been praying for you guys who are here and anyone who might listen that we would have a new understanding of our powerlessness and our unmanageability. And um, I really liked the their most recent special edition on Vision for You where Marcella talks about the connection between, um, she talked about the connection between step one and step 12 and how every time she takes a new sponsee through the steps that um, she's coming to like a deeper understanding of her powerlessness. And um, it was just such a beautiful way to look at that because I need, I need to remember my powerlessness and my unmanageability. And, and also, um, when I was looking through the book last night on page 20, it says our, on the top, our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. And so when I get fearful or start thinking about myself or like, what am I going to say? I have to sound this way. And um, it's just it, this, this program brings me back to like, it's, it's not about me. Like, God, please help us to all um, experience something new and learn something new and... Um, 
yeah, get get a deeper perspective. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so I can't. So you said the word morbid obesity, and I didn't realize before I came in that there's like categories of this thing. Where, um, and then I was like looking at the chart, and I was like, man, I am at the end of this. Like I was in category fifty-two. There's only like fifty-three categories, and um. And so it's like, it's called like there's overweight, then there's obese one, then obese two, or something like that, right? And then I was like all the way. But I just had a way of all that unmanageability, I just had a way of like rationalizing that away. Like I, I remember like before I came in, I was trying to explain to a therapist who was very good with everything else, was terrible with the food. Um, like I, so I had, which was very, very helpful actually that he was so terrible with it because I had to really explain to him like what was happening. and. Um, and I remember at one point thinking, my God, Pia, you think that you're the only person in America who can eat like this with no consequences, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And so I think to me that speaks of the powerlessness and the unmanageability. And, and also, I think I would feel powerful when I could clean it up. And there's always like when you're in, I wasn't per se in diets because supposedly we're past that and now we're into like lifestyle changes. But anyway, the same idea, right? Um, and so because of that, I like the cute part. Right, I like the new trainer, and I like getting a gym membership, and I like telling you about. But then I just lost complete and total control over the entire process, um, and I just I didn't realize that. And it's been really I I watch um, probably a lot of reality t- television for someone who doesn't actually have a t- TV. I don't really know how that happens, but um, but it, but it, it's been helpful to see like when I see the people on my 600 pound life, I can see oh my god like not the weight but like the thinking Mm -hmm. like the thinking is so crazy and I just identify with it and I remember there was an episode where this woman you know she went to a Mexican restaurant she was really good good she didn't quote unquote she didn't eat the queso right she got the fish platter which has got to be like if you know any you know is I mean, it's as damaging as any other platter, as, as far as I could see. But anyway, so she, and then she decides that she really needs a treat. And that was my thinking, like, all the time. Like, I really, I just, I just mm-hmm. need a little something. And so she goes to the, to um, one of the drive throughs and she gets two supersized, 100% sugar, right? And I was like, oh, who else is in the car? And then she's sitting on the porch with both of them, drinking them both to a star. And I was just like that. Like, I've not done that particular thing, but I've done many things that, like, basically just mirror that. And in the, in the whole logic of because I did this, I now get to do this other thing that's highly mm-hmm. destructive, right? Um, and so I really, like, identify with that, with the disease and the disease. I, I mean, I identify with the person who is sitting with the oxygen tank and is talking about how they really need to do something, and they're at, like, a buffet, Right. And that was just I was so mm. disconnected from my body. So um, on the one hand, I can kind of say that I wasn't in the shame club. On the other hand, I was so disconnected that if I was in the shame club, I wouldn't really know what I <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was at the gym at one point and looked at the mirror. and was just like, wow, who is that? Because I'm so short. My head is kind of small. And so when my body was really large. It was really kind of impressive. Like the ratio was just off. Um, <laughs> and so I, th- I think like knowing like I just felt so much relief when, I'll just tell this last story um, and hand it back to Toba, but um, so I cleaned up my food on my own and I cleaned it up thinking kind of like, this sugar thing has been a wrecking ball and um, I'm just gonna, as a lark, just see what would happen, right? And I've told this story before, so if you've, if you've heard me before, my first thought was like, I'll never live! 
and then I realized it's not a food group, so I probably would live. And uh, but I, I took it out of my um, out of my repertoire, and then I ate an entire tray of sweet potatoes, like the kind that you're supposed to like make for the week. That little advice, um, and um, it was probably about five pounds. And I, I just at that point, I was like, "Oh, I've I've been here before," as I was saying previously, um, and also like I think I have something called alcoholism in the food. Like that was kind of my first because my only like reference really was like women's magazines, and they were telling me to moderate, and I would try that mm-hmm. and like fail mm-hmm. <laughs> miserably, and then be and, and and like I would so for me because in women's magazines there's like this um little like like for me what folklore in my experience but I think it's real for some <laughs> people but um is you know that if you if you eliminate it you'll you'll binge right. And for me, mm. what I started to realize is, no, no, binging leads to binging for me. Stopping doesn't really lead to that, apparently. Um, and so when, so it was because I had these alcoholic foods in my repertoire, and now I can kind of have a sense of humor about like Wawa, and I just see it as like a sugar delivery system, right? <laughs> like it doesn't really, like, so I would like mess around with like, oh, I'm not going to get this, I'm going to get this over here, but it didn't really matter because it was all 100% sugar, and it really didn't matter because it was going to set off the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. Um. I, it's funny because when I hear stories that you're telling, it reminds me of things that I did with the food and moments that I had and um, the physical consequences of what I was doing, which was like being bloated all the time. And I, I, my mantra was basically, I'm nauseous, my stomach hurts, I'm nauseous. I, I would probably say that at least 50 to 60 times a day. <laughs> and that was my reality. Like it talks about in here, that was the only life that seemed normal to me. I lost sight of any other... Um, reality and um but I kept doing it and I I remember in graduate school I um I would like smoke cigarettes when I would go out drinking or something um and then I worked with head and neck cancer patients and I would see them outside of the hospital um smoking through their uh through the hole in their throat and um just that level of addiction and I and I after I saw that, I never smoked another cigarette again. But with the food, I, I could crap my pants. I could, like, not be able to get up off the couch. Um, I could lose, you know, relationships. I could miss out on job opportunities. And I could not stop. Like, um, yeah, I, I, couldn't stop. I couldn't stop doing it even though I knew that, um, that I was killing myself. And I have... I have like degrees and I'm and I'm smart and I have some level of common sense but oh man the food was so much stronger than any of that and I would be at parties and I would help to clean up so I could go in the kitchen and keep eating or um you know just wanting to get leave a party so that I could eat like I really wanted to um you know all those all those things like clogging shower drains and having to call like being on a like a romantic vacation, having to call hotel maintenance because I clogged the shower drain, you know, throwing up in there, um, just the level of humiliation that this disease could bring me to, but that it wasn't enough. Um, it wasn't enough to make me want to do something different. And um, on page eight in Bill's story, I really, I really relate to how dark it is before the dawn in the middle of the page, like. I couldn't have known when my last binge was. 
I couldn't have known that that was the last one, but it was. I had to just keep, um, I had to keep believing that it was possible and seeing recovery in you guys um, to believe that it was possible for me. And then the dawn came and it's crazy because I didn't remember, I was looking back and I always remember that it was um, Halloween of 2012 was uh, the first day that I put the food down, but I didn't realize it was um, Hurricane Sandy uh, was the 30th. And I remember like we were all up in arms like, oh my God, what's gonna happen? The world's gonna fall apart. And, um, and it rained here in this, in this area, it rained. Um, I know people who, you know, obviously like lost their homes and uh, lost power for weeks and weeks. But in my particular situation in Philadelphia, it rained. Um, and that, that Hurricane Sandy, that was the last time I binged. I didn't remember that until I looked back. Um, yeah, and I, I needed, I don't know if it's going into like what I needed was like what you were saying with the 600 pound people, I, I needed a, a brain tra- change. That's what was actually killing me. Like those physical consequences were horrible. Um, but that mental torture was just, that was, that was what would do me in like contemplating suicide. Cause I just, that mental torture was the worst. Um, and I needed a new perspective and, um, it wasn't going to come from cycling over the same <laughs> ideas and things that I had been trying. I tried everything. Um, I needed new ideas and, um, my sponsor at the time introduced me to vision for you while we were working together. And I, the recording and I started listening every day and like pumping my brain full of new ideas and new perspectives and um it really like brought the big book to life for me in a way that I couldn't find in my own mind I couldn't like identify into it it was like kind of like latin to me um and so it helped me know what I needed to do it helped me understand the solution um as opposed to just which was nice to like meet people who ate like me and did really embarrassing humiliating things with food like I did but it wasn't enough to to have me make a change if anything it just made me more aware uh, and it it made it made my binge is not as much fun um because I knew what I was doing but it, it didn't make me stop um until I step, started to work the steps um and just that that new perspective that I really couldn't have imagined because it didn't exist in my brain. And I think about like um, the first time that I put in, put on glasses or put in contact lenses and I'm like, oh crap, that's what a tree looks like. Like I had no idea. I couldn't see all the leaves, you know, it just was like a green and brown blur. Um, Or thinking about like with my baby, like, you know, seeing the world through her eyes and things that that just kind of like were blowing by me. But, like, oh, my God, she just touched her foot for the first time. <laughs> and it was, like, this big thing. Like, that's what I needed. I needed to, like, I needed this program to help me slow down and see, see things that I was just, they were just, like, washing over me. I was, like, in the waves. Yeah, I can pick up on that. I, I really like this, the, the dark before the dawn. I like the idea of the dawn. And I had no idea that recovery was possible. So ju- just having that hope that mm-hmm. there was something yeah. that I could do that was different um, and that was a psychic change because what I wanted to do was kind of rearrange the deck chairs because that was fun. Um, when, I, when I got to treatment, I remember, you know, I, I wanted to go to treatment. I chose to go to treatment. Now, it is true that I thought of it a little bit more like summer camp less like mm-hmm. actual treatment but anyway um nonetheless it got me there um and and I remember mm-hmm. talking to the nutritionist the first day and being like 
yeah, we could do it that way, but we could do it this other way that I think mm. is right. Because I brought cookbooks with me because that's what you <laughs> do, right? <laughs> I'm sure she was like, oh, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? Um, I'm sure she's seen it all. But anyway, she was great. And, but I, I didn't say anything to her, except I just said it in my mind. And then later I realized, like, Pia, like, you would fight this plan if it was your own plan. So why don't you just follow directions? And um, my partner has, I think, almost 30 years in AA. And I had said to her when she went in through, came in through treatment, and I had said to her at one point, like, what did you do? Like, how, did you, how do you have this long-term sobriety? And she was like, I did everything they told me to do. And like that literally, I could not have thought of that as a possible solution. <laughs> right? Like the idea of like following directions. Like I really thought of myself as a creative person and like as someone who like didn't want to be boxed in and I wanted to be like very free-flowing, but only on my own terms. And like, and so when she said that to me, you literally could have like knocked me over with a fact. Right? Like I was like, wait, what? Like, uh, and so, so when I went when I was at treatment, I just remember th- I, I made a deal with myself that you know we're one day at a time, and um, I'm gonna do everything they told me to do for a year, and then I'm gonna debate them about it mm-hmm. at the end of the year, <laughs> because I just knew I was that person who because I'm an intellectual and because like I could fight you and like be smiling and like giving you the impression that I'm being highly cooperative, right? While at the same time being like, well, I'm not gonna do that and I I don't really think that's the only way and you know, what about factory farming and I read this thing about milk and you know, just like all the things, right? And that has actually been very helpful because I've had some sponsees who have come to me about like, and there's nothing, I have nothing against being a vegan, I'm not saying anything about being vegans, I'm just saying like, we all have these things that we do and one of them is, Eureka! I have a great idea. I'll do this radical. And I just say, like, you can do that, but why don't you try abstinence first, right? Um, and and I, it just, for me, all of that was, like, the part of the, the playing around where I didn't understand powerlessness until I did. And, and I think I'd also heard this thing more recently about the difference between submission and surrender. And I just had, like, submission is, like, you follow the directions, but you don't actually believe it. And surrender is, like, oh, I really, I get, I give. And um, and part of my crazy was about, I think I had, t- like, sleep apnea for about 10 years. So, you know, you're you're stopping breathing many, 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 many times um, in, in the night. And so as related to that, I was having these dreams where I was dying of a heart attack in the dream, but I couldn't make the connection to my weight. It was like, I, I, like the dreams were terrifying. I had them many, many, many times. Mm. And in the dream, I'm like going like this to myself. Like, am I having a heart attack or am I not having a heart attack? Am I having a heart attack? And then I would be like hooked up to an EKG and then I would like flatline in the dream. Mm. But then wake up and be confused. Like about like what was, like what needed to be done? What was the plan of action? What was, um, and so I couldn't like connect a solution to myself on my own. Like I had to see other people doing that, and then I was able to sort of follow. And I remember my first my first sponsor worked nine tools a day, and I was like, "That's crazy!" And then I started working nine tools a day. But I, you know, like just seeing that someone else could do it. And she she had three kids, several dogs, a husband, and a full time job. And so it just allowed me to kind of, like I had a lot of versions of self-care that were sort of these little loopholes that kind of undermined me in the long run, right? <laughs> and so it was all about like, 
like when when my when I first went to see my outside help, she suggested that just maybe perhaps I make lunch. And I was like, I cannot make lunch. Like, I mean, it was just very, like, dramatic. And, um, and then I started, and then one day I was in my kitchen, and I was like, well, maybe I could make my lunch. Mm. Right? And I, th- I think the other thing about my perspective change is I spent a lot of time in grad school doing absolutely nothing. And that, I would say now that was because of my, like, I didn't realize I was eating and I was looking the part, but I wasn't actually doing any of the work. <laughs> and now one of the psychic changes is that I can hear a suggestion from any source. And if it's useful to me, I can implement it. Mm. And I could never do that before. I would read, and I think I was sharing in my, in my last qualifying that, you know, I have more self-help than anyone should have. But it's like I would read it and then I would toss it over my shoulder and I would move on to the next. I, I literally could not implement the simplest suggestion until I started saying like, maybe I could make my lunch. Mm. You know, maybe, and then like what was helpful about coming in from outside was, it's like maybe I could buy a cooler to put my food in. Mm. Oh, maybe I actually need the tools to do the things I need to do with my food, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, plasticware. Um, Oh, maybe I could, I work a long distance from home, pack all three meals and all of my snacks the night before. Oh, maybe I could weigh and measure everything, right? And so for me, those things started to be part of the psychic change because if you had asked me to do any of that before, I would have told you that you're like way too strict and way too crazy Mm -hmm. and that's just obsessive and who does that and blah, blah, blah. And it became just part of the relief that I found was like the exactness and they're resting in, like, I know exactly what I need to eat, when I need to eat it. I'm turning my food over. Like, all of those things became part of the solution, but I would not have been able to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I had a lot of resistance to suggestions as well. And um, I thought, I was afraid because food was, um, it did serve me for some time because I didn't really have any coping skills. And so food, you know, I was a zombie, but I, that's what I needed at the time to be a zombie to walk through different things in my life. And, um, and I genuinely thought like, but I'm not, but how am I going to enjoy food? I would get angry when anyone would say food is just fuel for my body that like would send me into some kind of rage. Um, but the truth is that like it says in the book and I, what's the, you'll be able to tell somebody out there will be able to tell me the page we're 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 eating is it 24 we're eating for the effect no what page is it Do you know? um, it's in the doctor's opinion oh it's in the doctor's opinion yeah Roman numeral. I knew you <laughs> oh geez yeah that's hard for me to yeah yeah um, men and women drink especially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. So yeah, I, I needed to come to some kind of realization that, yeah, maybe when I was like eating pints of ice cream and bags of chips or whatever, like maybe that was me like enjoying the taste of food. But when I was like rummaging through the cupboards eating disgusting baker's chocolate mixed with like whatever I could find, that's not because I was like some kind of foodie, right? Like <laughs> that was because I needed like in my veins, sugar, fat, like right as, you know, as I would run, I would like go to CVS or go to some bodega and I would literally run into my apartment to start eating like I couldn't wait to like I was shaking that's not because I was like excited to eat the food I mean that was me like needing to get 
those substances in my system as quickly as possible. And um, the idea, like what Pia was saying of like, oh, maybe you should make lunch. The idea of, of having a meal, like a plan of eating was so overwhelming to me. I felt like I was buried in the sand, even at the thought of it. Like someone could suggest it and I was immediately like paralyzed. Like, how am I going to do this? Even though I figured out, you know, very challenging problems in my life, day-to-day basis, the idea of coming up with a plan of eating was just like, oh my God, you know, a beautiful mind physics on the board. Like what? (laughs) Um, And if I, and I would think like, oh, it's going to take me so much time to like plan what I'm going to eat and like plan what I'm going to eat the groceries. Like this is way, this is crazy. This is just as obsessive. This is so much time that I'm going to spend. Um, if it took me even on the high end, maybe like an hour to plan what I was going to eat. I don't even think it took that long to plan what I was going to eat the next day and figure out like have actually this was another step like oh if I'm gonna plan that I actually have to have it in my house like (laughs) wow what a thought um I was spending 24 hours a day even when I was sleeping I was thinking about food so for me to spend an hour like and then the the gift that I couldn't have expected because again my old ideas were just so broken was like oh my gosh if I spend that time planning my food and I actually eat it I don't have to think about food for that day. Like, I don't have to think about it. And it was actually, like, what I thought was going to be so much bondage and so restrictive was so freeing because, yeah, like, I I didn't have to think about it. Like, that was, wow, another eureka. Like, oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think I I can also speak to the effects and – I, I can see now in that I was really medicating with myself with food, but I just really had no idea. And um, I heard a drug addict talk about when she, she got into some kind of car accident and she was on a morphine drip and she would give herself the morphine in advance of the pain that she had. And the person was like, that's an addict for you, right? Oh, so it yeah. was like, I would give myself like food dosages. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would squirrel things away in my pockets mm-hmm. for like, for some kind of, you know, apocalyptic emergency, right? Like, like I needed to know, like I had like M&Ms or something like with me and um, and now I get to really like have the blessing of I, uh, my commute to work is long, and th- there are all these places that I would stop for food, which is part of how I knew like oh this is not good, right? But um, before I came in, and and now it's like a miracle to me that if I need to stop for something, I can find the abstinent thing. I remember once I was at Reading Terminal Market, and this woman was at the Chinese buffet. This is when I was in illness, and the woman was at the Chinese buffet before me. And she had broccoli and rice. And I never saw the broccoli or the, right? Like plain broccoli and rice at this giant, like I only saw the food that I wanted to eat. If there were other options, I did not see them. Uh, And I remember looking at her and it was like this very, like you know how when you're paying by the pound, it's like insanely expensive. And it was like this very economical, wise, but I never saw those options because I was always looking for the effect. And um, and Tova knows this about me, but I also, I have multiple sclerosis and um, I've, I've had it for 10 years and now I'm starting to become, I've been mostly, I realized, like asymptomatic, like not really having symptoms outside of my brain scans and now I'm symptomatic. And so uh, earlier this week I was at work and I completely peed my pants. Like, it was hor- like, and, but because I'm in recovery, it's like, 
okay. I talk to myself a lot like I'm a toddler. Like, all right, let's go get you some new pants. (laughs) And like, no one's out at school right now, so like, no one really saw me because I would have been kind of more. I mean, it was sort of hilarious and mortifying all that way. But what I could see was like, oh, this is recovery. Like, I didn't panic. I didn't freak out. I didn't. I was like, okay, like let's like find the you know the blanket in the back and put it on the seat and let's get in the car and like let's keep our sense of humor and let's drive to the Walmart and let's keep Mm -hmm. our head high and like. I don't care that I'm wet from top to bottom. Like, whatever. I need pants, right? Like, the only person who's going to get into the Walmart is me. There's no one here. And so, like, I can't take off my pants to go into Walmart, so it's just going to have to be what it is, right? Um, And, like, I, like, you know, I got things to clean up. I got myself some new pants. And then I went back, and I missed a work meeting. I didn't explain. It's, like, a, a larger meeting, and so I didn't, like, go back and try to explain and figure, you know. I just let it be. And then I went back and had... The, a good rest of the day mm. and wow. that is like gratitude of recovery and I didn't yeah. have to eat over it and then I had like some emotional effects when I finally re- when I realized like oh this is I'm having these emotional effects because I'm, ha- I'm I'm symptomatic and I wasn't symptomatic before and now I am and that's a little distressing um and so it's like yeah I laid down for a day whatever right? I took some extra naps, you know um mm. and I reached out to my outside help and it's like we're gonna figure it out and um but I don't have to eat over it, mm-hmm. right? And I felt like a lot of like aloneness and I felt like a lot of just like there's a, like, I feel like the spiritual hole that I have sometimes just comes up when things are hard and that's just what happens and whatever. And it's like, okay, okay, you're okay. Just take an, can you take an extra nap, right? Or I'll say like, gentle, gentle, right? Gentle, gentle, or gentle little grasshopper, right? And just try to like not make it worse by like all the mental like, you know? And it, it's like, oh, okay, so I can, with a sober mind, it's like I can mm-hmm. deal with things soberly that I could have never handled when I was in the food, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and it's also like looking, and I don't really like the version of MS where you're like, oh, it's a bow, and it's like, it's wonderful that you have this because then it led to all the, no, I don't really like that version, but I will say <laughs> that there are gifts in the eating disorder and there are gifts in the MS. And one of them is I'm moving too fast. I'm moving too fast. Mm. I'm doing too much. And so the reason why the accident happened at work was partially because I was doing too many things and I wasn't paying attention. Um, and, and it's like, okay, so the, the gift in this is that I get to slow down. So mm. I met with a cognitive rehab person and like we figured out like I can't organize my life because it's too full. So I have to eliminate things so mm. I can see what I have and then I can move forward and have that organized. Mm. And, um, and the, the gift also of having a secondary illness is that that was partially how I came in is I had progression on my scans and I was like, I have no control over this, but I can put some work into the food. <laughs> and they're both, they're ironically both progressive illnesses. So, um, so that, that has been like, just to be able to like keep a presence of mind and like not go into a shame spiral. Mm. And so instead, like when I was walking out to the parking lot in my totally wet pants, I was like, you know what this is. This is a mess. This is not about like you did something wrong or like there's something wrong with this is not about that. Mm. And then I've been doing this long, um, uh, what I call the long version of the 10th step where I do the third step prayer of 
a written 10 step and then a seven step prayer. And then I could see like when I was doing that, when I was feeling at my, like when I was just having that emotional effects and when I was feeling at my most broken, it's like I got to a, like I love the part in the seven step prayer. It's like, you can have all of me, the good and the bad. Like I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to figure out the broken part and the good, like I don't have to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And there's this Leonard Cohen quote that's like, everything is broken. That's how the light gets in. And it's like, I don't have to fight the brokenness anymore. And that is like, so that is, that is absolutely a gift of recovery. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And, you know, so like I get to laugh about it and I get to be like, Mm-hmm. Got some extra pair of black pants. You need any black pants? <laughs> um, and so I get to kind of keep my sense of humor, and that that is all from from recovery. And and I'll just I'll end with this: is like I, so I don't generally speaking, I'm asymptomatic, but I've had uh, a real a hospitalization in in recovery, and I didn't eat. Right, and it's like at the hospital they're hilarious because they're like you know the orderlies or whatever like they can't understand no sugar. They're like no sugar, no flour. Here's the cookie, right? Um, and so like, but I w- I was able to like figure out what I needed and like communicate that and um, and then also just kind of like let like. I think at one point there was like a little something on the chicken and it's just like I scraped it off and I was like, you're going to be okay. Like, mm-hmm. move, like let's go. Move, like, eat your dinner. Let's move on. Like, mm-hmm. don't obsess about, oh my God, I wasn't in the kitchen watching them prepare it, right? Like, let's be real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... It makes me think about... Um, in my disease, like, if I had a personal chef, if I had a trainer, if I was married to this guy, if I had this job, then I would stop eating. Um, and I was kind of, like, waiting to be, like, struck absent. Like, that's what I thought God does, right? Like, these big, sweeping miracles. I want to be struck abstinent. I didn't want to actually do the work or, like, participate. I wanted to be – I basically wanted to be a robot, pretty much. That's what it was. Like, I didn't want to um, – and I also f- – I had this feeling of, like, um, I don't know. I guess it doesn't mean, like, what Pia was sharing. Like, it doesn't mean that bad stuff is not going to happen to me in my life. But I have a way of, like, working through it now. And I have, I like, I have the steps and I have support from you guys. And I have a higher power. And so um, I don't have to figure things out alone. And I don't have to get stuck. Like, I would get stuck in so much. Like, when, when my husband lost his most recent family member, like, a week and a half ago, um, like, in my disease, I would be, like, I would want everyone to know, like, feel sorry for me. It's not about me at all. I didn't even really know his aunt. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I didn't really know, you know, but it would it would be, like, all about me instead of thinking, like, how can I, how can I be of service to his family? Like, how can I be there for my husband? Um, you know, like, it, it would just be all about me or, like, you know, sleep is uh, a new adventure with a child and so in my disease I, I probably would have been oh like 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 I'm not getting like this is how much sleep I got last night and duh. and now I the gift of this program is at every night I pray before I put her to bed and I say God please give us the sleep we need to have the energy tomorrow to accomplish what you have for us and and I always do. I haven't died of being tired. She's actually a really good sleeper, but <laughs> but I but even on nights that it's not like that. I it's like with the food, like I would feel like I'm gonna die if I don't eat, but then I would wait till the next meal. I would just pray, like, God, please help me get to lunch, and I wouldn't die of being hungry. And so I 
it's amazing that like we we have what we need to do this like we really do if we if we accept help and and do it like you were saying just follow the instructions um I'm trying to think if there was something else did you have I think what I could add to that is that I spend a lot of time, I call this step zero, and I, I see other people do this too, I think it's just human nature, it's like, I want help, 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 I want, yeah. and then I'm just like, I'm unwilling to do anything, right? Like I, like I'm, my, my fists, I was like, oh, the, the image for me is like, my fists are closed, it's like, I want to help me, right? But I'm just, I'm not willing to open my fists. And then when I came in, it's like I was finally, like, I really didn't come in until I believed I was in as much pain as I said I was. And then I was able to get help. Because up until then, honestly, like, if you look at my life, because of, like, you know, education and degrees and this and that, it looks good. So when I sometimes when I would go to outside help, they'd be like, looks good to me. I'd be like, yeah, about that. And I think that ties into like on, on chapter three more about alcoholism. It was like such a relief to the first line. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. When I could finally admit that I was a real alcoholic, there was so much relief in that. And I remember um, I grew up with the big book, so it's a great irony that I'm the one who actually needs the big book. But I remember one of the first things I read was the whiskey and the milk story. And I just, I, I've never, I don't drink because of the alcoholism in my family. So it's not like I could relate to the whiskey, but I could relate to, like, shuffling the cards and being like, do, 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 do. don't mind me I'm just eating five slices of cake over here but the cakes I'll get another cake uh, you don't see right and so the whiskey and the milk to me was about that it was like just the de- like it, like the delusion that I that nothing is wrong and I'm just like sh- like everybody just puts a little whiskey in their milk and like what's the big deal and 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 one of the things I used to do is I used to do the, these substitutions and one of them, because this is, again, what the women's magazines recommend, and I was following that. And so it was like substitute skim for whole. So I did that, right, whole milk or whatever, cheese or whatever. And then I got into, like, a whole version of it, like, kind of a, I was never a vegan, but, like, around veganism, like, add, like, um, use avocados to make chocolate pudding. Right, but that didn't help because I was a volume eater. So it's like I ate all the, you know, it was like, you know, and I could see that it was sort of a little crazy. But I also, I think I've, I've shared here before, like, for me, like, anything that was an inconvenient truth, I just dismissed as a falsehood, right? So, like, government regulations around portion sizes, well, apparently in this version of myself, like I was an anarchist and I didn't believe in the government. I thought they were just trying to like, you know, make, I just couldn't relate to a half cup of anything. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I think, you know, those, yeah, that, that was, it was, it was, once I realized that I was an alcoholic and that by taking one bite, I could set this whole chain off and that, you know, the first, like I would say 30 days that I was without sugar, I could see like, I am just like a magpie. I'm just drawn to anything that's shiny that relates to food. I want to put it in my pocket. I don't have to be hungry. Um, in fact, I rarely felt full so because I was constantly grazing. Um, and so I could just see that that I was not like on the after-school special where people gather everything together. So I just couldn't see the volume, but it was a tremendous amount of food. Um, and then also because my partner is not in the food, like she would have part of a cupcake and be like, eh. And that's when I started being like, huh, that is fascinating. <laughs> but, like, but for me, like one chicken was one serving. 
like a whole rotisserie. Yeah. Like it just wasn't like I like when I think about like I used to look at like you know like linguine or what you know frozen like those meals or whatever and be like I don't even know who that's made for. Like I don't even understand like that portion size. Like and that is roughly I would say how much I eat now. But at the time it was like. I don't even, like, I would need, like, several of those, right? Um, or there, I remember, like, one of the Way and Pays came out with these, this is hilarious to me, like, muffin tops that have more fiber in them so you feel more full. Mm. And then I ate all the muffin tops mm. and was like, huh, that's interesting. Because I never felt, I never I never felt that moment of, like, oh, wow, that's, that's really enough for me. I never, I never felt like that. And, um... You know, I think I was sharing at one point. I had I had this dream where I was eating this like, like there was several tiers of pralines, and I at each point I was I was, I was taking with them one at a time, and I was saying, "Are you ready to stop now?" Like, no, not now. And I ate the whole the first tier, and then I realized in the dream like, oh yeah, like I'm never gonna stop unless I feel ill, and and even that is only temporary. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've had some hilarious dreams in sobriety, and like, including like, I was inv- invited to this Hollywood award show, <laughs> and I would say to the person, I'm like, I am so happy that you won that award, and I'm so happy to celebrate with you, but I'm on a food plan, and I'm gonna need to, <laughs> right? Oh and my was, gosh! <laughs> you know, but it just became like, so I started, ha- I had drunk dreams for a while, and then I started having sobriety dreams, like where I was maintaining my sobriety in the dream, wow. right? Then I went back to some drunk dreams, you know, it's a sort of like a natural evolution, but I, I think it was, once I realized like what my real issue was, what, which is that I could either go to insanity or death, um, that was so helpful. Um, then I could get out of like all of the solutions like in the bookstore mm. that I would gravitate to, and I could just like leave that um, behind. So, yeah, um, it makes me think about on page thirty in the first paragraph the idea that somehow someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker, and that that's what I was doing too with all the the different solutions that I tried, and I tried the one with points off and on for a while and I would just find like all the zero point things um and people say like um like I could binge on anything like I really could like I I would I binge on a bag of Brussels sprouts and made myself so sick um because I just like wanted that effect like that numbness and it was me like trying to trick my disease um thinking like um yeah how can I get this effect and also control my body. Um, so yeah, I would buy the like the the I don't know how many points they were it was a long time ago, but like the ice cream bars that were like a part of the program, and so they were like just all chemicals basically. Um, but I would think like, okay, I can have like two of those, and if I like starve myself all day, and then I would just like eat the whole box of them. And it would kind, and I'd be like, okay, well, I'll just make up for it tomorrow. And it was this constant game of like tomorrow, tomorrow, like I'll catch up tomorrow, like I'll I'll cut out this tomorrow to make up for what I had. And it was this constant like mental game of like, how am I gonna even the playing field? And it was never even. Like, you know, with the pralines in your dream, like I would scrape the ice cream so it was just enough so that when I put it back, no one would notice. Or I would eat the box and then I would buy a new box so they wouldn't know. But then I would just eat it down to the same point. It was just like this constant like. Um. yeah like tipping the scales and how can I even them and they were never I mean they were never even that's why I had to keep eating and figuring it out Um. until I 
could fully concede to my innermost self, like it says on page 30, that I was this thing, that I'm an addict, and I would never, ever recover control. And um, nobody could convince me of that. Like, nobody could make me believe that. I heard about OA probably six years or more before I came to my first meeting. Nobody could make me believe that I needed this. The disease, the food made me believe it. And I know people talk about it, like how sometimes we do a disservice to people who say like, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, but then aren't willing to, to take help. Um, and, I, and I'm glad that no one pushed me. I'm glad nobody, um, or if they did, I don't remember. <laughs> um, because, because I was on a journey and eventually the food convinced me that, um, that I needed to do something different. So, um, yeah, it even says on the bottom of 31, we do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Like, we can't, I mean, I would love to diagnose some people in my family, but <laughs> but I can't. <laughs> they have to diagnose themselves. Um, and if I do, it's very exhausting to diagnose other people. Um, because there's, yeah, I can't fix anybody. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think part of that for me was because I like to debate things apparently unbeknownst to my own self, but I had to use, I used a lot of like, I know like not self-knowledge avails us nothing, but I did use a lot of like reverse logic for myself. Like I sort of, I said, okay, look at your family tree up to the rafters with addicts. Now what's the likelihood that you're the one person who escaped that, right? Even though I never thought of food as addiction before that. And so there's a lot of alcoholism, there's a lot of drug addiction, there's, and it's also was really helpful to kind of look around at just my other family members, because I'm exactly like them, and see that we're always on a plan, but we never make any progress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that was yeah. part of the insanity. It was just like, we're always, like, I could call my mom today and, like, talk about my aunt and what plan she happens to be on, right? And so we were always on a plan, and what I say now is that part of the psychic change is that when people are recovering, like, you see it. Like, it's a tangible fact that they're recovering. And anything else, like, if you can't see it, it's not probably not happening, right? And so we would always, like, you know, cycle from this way style of eating to cycle to that. And that's been my whole life, like, my whole life that we, okay, thanks. Um, my whole life that we've done that. And I thought you were cheering me on, and then I realized, oh, she's saying 10 minutes. <laughs> Um, and so I think like these are all the methods we have tried is one of my favorite paragraphs on 31 drinking beer only limiting the number of drinks never drinking alone never drinking in the morning drinking only at home never having it in the house and I think for me like I just would eat with a lot of normal eaters and then go home and eat twice as much or triple as much or quadruple as much and just think like you know, I'm the same as them. And I, I remember, like, when in college, like, I w- was around a lot of normal eaters who were just kind of foodies, just enjoyed food, but never had any kind of consequences from it. And I was right there with them, but then I wasn't able to stop. So it would just continue, right? Um, and um, and so, you know, yeah, so it, it's, you know, this part about accepting voluntary commitment to asylums. We could increase the list ad finitum. Um, and I think, you know, I wasn't really willing to get off that merit. I, I, I mean, I would also say, like, I'll be 45 in October, and it was really helpful to have all those years of research 
<laughs> because I could say like, oh, I tried that path down that forest and that didn't really work. Or I, you know, it was just helpful mm-hmm. to sort of, I don't, I think because um, unlike alcoholism that maybe has quicker consequences, like you could really eat like I was eating for a long time before you had consequences. And because I ate like enough kale and stuff, like my numbers were good. <laughs> Right, so I had two tracks. I was eating totally destructively on one track, and then on the other track, I was like checking ingredients and like eating kale and blending smoothies and like all this other stuff. So it like it just didn't catch up to me yet. Um, and then because of that, I could kind of justify that I was totally fine, right? But now, in retrospect, it's very helpful to have come in at such a high weight because when I start to be like, "Am I? I don't know. Who could really say?" It's like, could we just look at the facts here? my friend mm. <laughs> you know what I mean like we just look at like people don't just get to like they don't get to number 52 on the BMI chart and yes we could debate the merits of the BMI chart and yes we could whatever um, but like 52 is still 52 and it's still like really large especially for someone who's like five two and a half and what I can see now that I could never see before when I see people on the street is like how debilitating the weight is mm. Like, I could really care less what size people are, but it is debilitating. And so I was in a dressing room once um, at one of the supersized stores, and there was a woman who was in the dressing room next door to me, and dressing rooms are not very large, so she couldn't have really been moving that much, and you could hear the breathing. Mm. And when I was in the food, I, could ne- I couldn't see the physical effects. But now that I'm out of the food, it's mm-hmm. like I was walking next to someone at work last week and was like, oh, wow, like she can barely walk, mm. right? Um, our president, who is wonderful, she's new, um, when she gets up to the podium, she's standing still and she's having trouble breathing. Mm. And so I could see like, oh, I had this delusion from my own self that like if I had all these other things like the education and the, then this physical part wouldn't keep, you know, catch mm. up to me or the spiritual part wouldn't. It, and also I can see now like looking back, I could trace my spiritual malady from when I was high, mm-hmm. right? Like the weight like took a while to catch up to that whole thing. But the mm-hmm. spiritual malady, I can put my finger on mm-hmm. like, oh, I always felt like not enough. Mm-hmm. I always was trying to like, trade out my whole life for your life mm-hmm. right and so it's like I didn't want to be myself I wanted to be you mm-hmm. from a very young age and I, re- I remember like I would go to camp and like be mimicking the other girls because like I grew up in this alcoholic home so it was like well what do you do at night oh you wash your face oh I should wash my face right but not because we had routine we did not have routine in my house yeah man um it just brings to mind a couple of stories one like with the kale, I remember going to Bikram Yoga and buying a salad and then like buying binge food to have after it and feeling like <laughs> it would kind of like even out. Um, and then the thing about childhood, oh man, I, yeah, from a very young age, I don't even know how, how old I was. It, it had to be, I mean, I feel like I was a toddler and every night I would have my bowl of ice cream before bed and that was like, you know, my comforting thing before bed. Um, and like long before you know weight or any kind of physical consequences for an issue food was that calming nurturing thing for me so and wanting and that and also like that fantasy life like divorcing myself from reality was was a part of me also from childhood like looking at people who lived in okay 
um, you know, in because we grew up in a in a row home in West Philly, and so like looking at people who had like single family homes or like an attic bedroom, like I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Like, oh my gosh, you have an attic bedroom, that's amazing. And I would fantasize about like what it would be like to have the attic bedroom and what it would be like to you know have go on family vacations like that. Or, and I was it, it started from a young age of like just not living in my own skin. Um, and not being present. So that was like, that was a good reminder, Pia. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll just kind of close with um, <laughs> the fantasy life really rings true to me. And, and now, like in this last week when I've been going through, I think for food addicts, I would say there's two kinds of emotions that happen for us. One is like the happy, mad, sad. And the other is like this visceral, like these just physical feelings that we don't know what to do with. That's my mm. experience. We don't know what to do with. And so this, in various points of my recovery, I felt like this inner coldness that I don't know what to do with. Um, but it, when I'm so, now that I'm sober, I can say like, oh honey, like you're gonna survive this. Mm. Like it's gonna be okay. Like you're gonna have to like, you know, take a mental health day and like call some people and like go to a meeting and, and do those, but like, it never occurred to me that I could survive it. I needed like the butter pecan. Like I really mm-hmm. was like always oh, that was a big like flavor for me. Yeah, <laughs> like rooting for that, you know. And and now it's like expect. I go to a lot of AA actually, even though I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. But I I go there partially because those they talk really openly about like all the shit that happens in sobriety and like you don't pick up. Mm-hmm. Period. You don't pick up. Um, and so, you know, that is really helpful to me because it's just like, it is really hard to tolerate. And one of the ways that, you know, one of my little reality TV stories is I was watching this woman, she was 500 pounds, and, um, and it looks really cute in the beginning, and she's very photogenic, and she's getting the yoga pants, da, da, da. and then there's a point where it's very clear that she has this incredible trauma that's underneath all this weight. And she gets to around 300 pounds, and then a friend of hers suggests that she does Reiki. And Reiki is hands off. Like no one is touching you in Reiki. You're like lying on a massage table and they're hold, they're putting their hands over you. And so she's game for pretty much anything. And she's like, whatever, I'll do it. Well, you know, and she gets on the Reiki table and in like 0.02 seconds, it was like an exorcism. Mm. She flushes red. I mean, this woman is not touching her. The woman puts her hands like at the top of her head like this, just holds them above her. This, the woman who's the subject of the, t- the reality TV show, she flushes red, she starts bawling her eyes out. And this is stuff she doesn't know is there. Like she doesn't know. And so that gives me so much compassion for like when people go back into the food. It's mm-hmm. like, when you can't tolerate that, you will eat, mm-hmm. right? Because like she, like I have never seen anything like that was as real as that on reality TV, right? And she sort of knows intellectually that maybe she's had some drama, but like, and there's this other moment um, in an earlier episode, like I think a season or two earlier, where she's doing Pilates and she's lying flat down and all the woman says to her is like, move your legs up. She moves her legs up and she like has to bolt up and out of that Pilates. Like, there's something that happened to her that was so foundational that she can't tolerate. And it taught me a lot about those visceral feelings and how um, that it is merciful in some cases to eat if, if that is the underlying thing that you can't face, right? Um, and so now when those, when those, I don't have trauma to that degree, but when those types of feelings go, come up, I can just say, 
that's what happens. Nothing's wrong. When you're sober, you're gonna ha- you'll faith that you'll, that's what comes up. And then I talk to people about it, or make a phone call, or say, or, you know, say my prayers, or do a meditation. And like my first year in recovery, I did a lot of grounding meditations. Um, and just knowing, like I, I say, I'll close with this. Like I say a lot to myself, like this is sobriety, and this is what you came for. Mm-hmm. Like when feelings come up, I'm like, oh yeah, this is right on time. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. Yes.